Welcome to the Chris Rawl Show. I have written a new article about Aaron Rodgers. You can find that at chrisrawl.com, where you can find everything that I have written, everything that I record, and if you want to sign up for any article that I write to be delivered into your inbox, uh, just go to that website, click on the sign up in the top right corner, give me your email address, and we can go from there. As a reminder, if you are listening to the show, please, please, please subscribe to it. Please, if you can, leave a five-star rating and review on Apple iTunes. And if you can, please share it with a friend. And if you need to contact me in any way, um, you can email me at chris at ceo.com. Now, on to today's episode, where we talk about Super Wild Card Weekend. The NFL playoffs have begun. The time where outsized narratives are derived from individual games. A point of fascination and consternation for me. For moments like one play in January of 2007 can shape the narrative for somebody's entire career. Because the general public and the media especially loves, loves, loves creating these outside narratives based upon individual playoff games and these games that come down to individual moments and plays. January 2007, the Cowboys are playing the Seahawks. It's right at the start of Tony Romo's career. And the Cowboys are lining up for a very short chip shot field goal that will put them up by two with a minute to go in that game on the road. And Tony Romo is the holder. Snapped it back to him. He bumbles it, bobbles it. Grammatica, their kicker at the time, does not get the kickoff, and Romo tries to run, gets tackled. That's it. That's the game. Cowboys end up losing by one point. And strangely enough, this just strange play that will happen once in a billion years that really has nothing to do with anything besides just dumb chance, luck, all that kind of stuff, and really has nothing to do with the way that Tony Romo plays quarterback. It kind of came to represent the narrative for the rest of Tony Romo's career because Tony Romo didn't win a Super Bowl, which is always the big, big no-no in the eyes of the public. And he never lived down this moment. And he kind of carried this mantle throughout his career of he's never ready for the clutch. He just can't perform, you know. Remember when he just wilted and couldn't even hold a snap? How could he even play quarterback if he can't do the simplest of tasks? Catch a snap from a snapper, hold it down while Grammatica kicks it through. And this is kind of what a lot of people still in present day think about Romo. Oh, uh, yeah, he's, I mean, he's an okay player, but he just wasn't clutch. He never could will the Cowboys to a Super Bowl championship. Now, this was not true. He didn't win a championship, but it wasn't because Tony Romo wasn't a good quarterback. It wasn't because he wasn't clutch. It's just because that's stuff that happens in the NFL. It's really hard to win a championship. It's interesting to note the other really noticeable playoff loss of Tony Romo's career was 2014 season, January of 2015 against my Green Bay Packers in Lambeau Field. It's the famous Dez catch-or-no-catch game. It's the season where Tony Romo was this close to winning a MVP. He was right in contention. Rodgers was just a little bit better that year and won it deservedly so. But Romo was one of the best players in football. Cowboys were one of the best teams, and they very well could have won that game. And what it came down to was fourth down, phenomenal pass from Tony Romo down the left sideline to Dez Bryant, who jumps up, makes a what looks like an incredible catch at the time. and. It was in the phase where you had to complete the catch with 12 steps, sit down, make a cup of tea, and only then would the refs rule it an actual catch. So he catches it, stumbles down, and ends up hitting the ball on the ground a couple steps later. 
and it goes to review and the ref states no catch. And that's the deciding play in that game. Now I come across this from CBS Sports as I'm doing some reading before the recording of this show because I enjoyed watching Tony Romo play football. I thought Tony Romo was very good at football. I thought through his era, which was about 2006 to 2016, after the big guns, the four big guns, Brady, Rodgers, Breeze, and Manning, I thought Romo was the fifth best quarterback of that era. That's an incredible accomplishment. And again, a lot of people look at him and say, well, this guy's just not clutch. Remember the Seahawks game? Remember the Packers game? You know, Rodgers beat him because Rodgers had this will and, and he just couldn't hold the snap again. And I come across this from CBS Sports. From 2006 to 2016, Romo was the league's premier quarterback in fourth quarter situations when the score difference was seven points or fewer. Yes, you read that sentence correctly. In his career, in those situations, Romo was 400 of 618 for 64.7%. For 5,335 yards, 8.63 yards per attempt, with 42 touchdowns to 18 interceptions and a sparkling rating of 102.5. By comparison, Aaron Rodgers had a rating of 101.2 in those situations in that time frame, and Peyton Manning was next at 99.5, end quote. So that paints the story that I kind of believe because it's what I watched. A large sample size, and Tony Romo was just really good at quarterback including in these situations that people for one specific reason, this fumbled snap, would say, well, Tony Romo's not cut out for it. And anytime he'd throw an interception in the fourth quarter, the whole internet would melt down and ESPN would scream about it for a week. Uh, and you see these numbers, you know, actual fact, in one-score games in the fourth quarter, you see that by pass rating, he was the best quarterback in football over that stretch. He's beating out Aaron Rodgers. He's beating out Peyton Manning. Uh, and it paints a more accurate picture of, oh, this was a really good player who never ended up winning a Super Bowl because there's a lot of reasons that players don't win a Super Bowl. So this is one example, and it's why I'm always talking about individual performance separate from team success. If you think a player is good over a stretch of time, especially a 10-year stretch, then that should hold true regardless of a win or loss in one individual game. Same if a player is bad over a long period of time and the win or the loss goes their way in a playoff game. Okay, this is why I'm always harping on this particular subject. Because if we're making up our minds whether or not a player is good or bad because of one individual playoff game, it's absurd. Because what do most of these games come down to? The margins. That tantalizing mixture of controllable and uncontrollable. And again, when you understand that, I think it's very absurd to judge a quarterback based on whether the margins goes their way or not within one individual game. Okay? So I'm recording this before Rams and Cardinals are yet to play. I've watched the five games previous to that. That will obviously take place, so it will not be discussed on this show. And three of those games that I have watched, I'm not going to be discussing in great length because there was a clear separation between the sides. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers were infinitely better than the Philadelphia Eagles. That was apparent about two drives into the game. And I thought, well, I'm going to have to watch this for another three hours. And I really wish that I didn't have to because Jalen Hurts looks like his head is spinning 600 miles an hour. And the Tampa Bay offense and Tom Brady look like they just won a Super Bowl and they know what and how to act in this particular situation. So we don't need to discuss that. The Bucks are just better than the Eagles. That's why they are moving forward. The Bills were better than the Pats. They had Josh Allen, who pieced together one of the very best 
performances I have ever seen in his entire career. Maybe the best, honestly. Uh, And it's the type of performance that I wish we would point to more as a sign of this player is really good or this player is actually clutch because what Josh Allen did to the Patriots on Saturday night qualifies more than any one individual throw or anything like that. Uh, It was Josh Allen for the entire duration of the game just torching what had been one of the five best defenses in the league in the regular season to the ground. The Bills never punted. They never saw fourth down the first time in NFL history that occurred. Their first seven drives were touchdowns. The last drive, they took knees and the game was over. That was this performance, and it was all spearheaded by Josh Allen, who was throwing and running as good as he could possibly do. That's the type of performance that I want to see that I will add, and it will move the needle a little bit for me, where I know Josh Allen is already good. I know he was the second-best quarterback in football last year behind Rodgers, but I watch a performance like that, and I go, yeah, he's he's just really good, and this, again, proves that point. Um, Chiefs and Steelers, same kind of deal. Chiefs are a lot better than the Pittsburgh Steelers, Pittsburgh Steelers are not a good football team, and I wish they hadn't been there, and it made my stomach hurt to watch them have to play football. Um, Patrick Mahomes is really good, and that game was another reminder that the dude, when just given the ball, can make a lot of magic, especially against a team that is really not equipped to get into the sort of game that Kansas City wants to play. So those three games, we have three teams moving on. They all deserve to move on. They were all better than the opponent. Cut and dry. Uh, It's going to create a lot of very interesting matchups next round, especially Bills against Chiefs, which I am dying to watch more than anything that doesn't involve Green Bay. But there are two games in particular that occurred over the weekend that are worthy of examining and reflecting on the margins. And if you are somebody who likes creating individual narratives based upon wins or losses in the playoffs, then I want to be very clear that this is what we are talking about. Everything boils down to a playoff win or a playoff loss for how we judge a quarterback. This is the kind of stuff that we are talking about. A lot of things that cannot be controlled by one individual player. So the first game I want to mention is the Las Vegas Raiders and the Cincinnati Bengals, which was decided by a touchdown. The Bengals intercept Derek Carr at the goal line right at the end of the game to preserve their seven-point victory. Now, there are a couple of things that I really want to dive into for purposes of the margins, for things that play an outsized role in deciding who wins or who loses. And as time goes on, we'll just kind of forget about them because they're stupid-ass plays. They're just little beavis plays. Special teams always plays a role in ways that just <laughs> it drives you insane, uh, depending on how you bet, depending on who you are rooting for. There's a play in the first half of Raiders Bengals. Peyton Barber is on the Vegas kick return team. He is about their 54th string tailback. Um, I haven't even thought about him or heard his name in many years since he was plugging along for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and averaging about two yards per carry. But he's one of the upbacks. And Ed McPherson, the kicker for Cincinnati, he drills a kick that's bouncing towards left. And for whatever reason, Peyton Barber starts running backwards. And he has the strangest brain fart where the ball is going out of bounds and he can do one of two things. He can let the ball go out of bounds and they get the ball at the 40. That's pretty big. He can go and stand out of bounds if he's, for whatever reason, not fully convinced that it's going to go out of bounds. If he goes and stands out of bounds and reaches back and touches the ball, that also qualifies as the kickoff going out of bounds, which then means the Raiders get the ball at the 40. Instead, he chooses the little-used third option, 
which is to cough and corner his own team on a kickoff because he gets both feet in bounds. He fields the ball like he's trying to catch a pass from a quarterback and then promptly runs out of bounds inside of the five-yard line. Much to the chagrin of the entire Raiders return team who are then jumping up and down and stamping and holding their heads and saying, what are what is happening here? What are you doing? Promptly leads to a Raiders three and out because they're backed up inside of their five-yard line. Punt and Cincinnati gets points off that. That is something that plays a pretty large role. We're talking a difference of 35 plus yards in field position because an up back on the kick return team just for whatever reason forgot what he was doing in a playoff game. That kind of stuff factors into a win and a loss. Okay. There's another play in the first half that's probably the most controversial of the whole weekend. And it had to do with the referees, our favorite group of people who we don't ever want to see affect a game, and yet every game that's close, they affect. This one was no different, and this one was even more so because there's a play in the first half. Third down for the Bengals. They're inside the red zone. Joe Burrow's rolling out to the right-hand side, and you can't tell if he stepped in or out, but he's running pretty much full speed to the out-of-bounds, and he throws it back into the field of play. And while the ball is in the air, you very clearly hear a ref blow a whistle, insinuating that the play is over. That's just how the rules work. A ref blows his whistle, or her whistle, and the play is dead. So the Raiders kind of stop playing. Tyler Boyd ends up catching the ball, and he doesn't celebrate because he's obviously heard the whistle. He's just kind of standing there. And Jerome Boger, the head referee and his crew, they get together, and they're mulling it over, and they don't really know what to do because replays clearly show that Joe Burrow did not step out of bounds, but they're caught between a rock and a hard place because they blew the play dead. So you can say one of two things. You can say Joe Burrow is out of bounds, and it's fourth down, and this is where he stepped out at, and you can't really review it. It's just an error on our part. Or you can say, eh, it's an errant whistle. I kind of thought that he was stepping out of bounds, but he didn't, and that's my bad, but we're just going to have to replay that play. Sometimes this happens, and everybody goes about their day. Those are the two options. And instead, Jerome Bogart and his crew, they choose the little, seldom-used third option, which is to, for whatever reason, just say, ah... We'll just count it as a touchdown, <laughs> even though we very clearly blew the whistle at the middle point where the ball is in the air from Burrow to Tyler Boyd. And it looks like the Raiders in coverage kind of stop playing because they hear the whistle. So this is controversial on a lot of levels, um, so much so that the NFL after the game comes out and says, Jerome Bogar and his crew, they're not going to be refing another playoff game because... We don't really want to have to talk about this anymore. But this is the kind of stuff that factors in to who wins and who loses in the playoffs. We see it every year. We'll see it again this year, I promise you. We will see a bonehead referee maneuver call interpretation that will drastically alter the outcome of a game because this is one of the things that matters on the margins. Now, there's other stuff, a bunch of other things that didn't have as outsized of a role as that. Uh, you had the Bengals with the ability to put the game away. You have some really conservative play calling by Zach Taylor uh, when they're up seven, and they've been able to throw to Jamar Chase in single coverage all game at will, seemingly. And they get conservative, and they run it in the line, and then they run it with Jamar Chase on an end around, and they get stopped, and then they just dump it off, and they punt. And that's what sets up the Raiders' final drive, where they get in position to try and score. 
And on that Raiders drive, there's a bogus roughing the passer call where Derek Carr flops and the refs give him an extra 15 and everyone agrees that's not a penalty. Again, just the stuff that builds up on the margins. Now that ends up not mattering because the Raiders get in position and they waste one of their final four downs on a spike on first down, which is strange. And Drew Brees calls it out at the time as the play is going on. He's going, you can just throw a fade right here. You can just throw a fade because you don't want to have to waste one of these plays inside the 10-yard line. You don't want to just completely give it up. Uh, you only have a finite amount of opportunities to score this touchdown. So just run something quick and throw to the end zone and know that you'll have three other plays in your back pocket. Instead, they spike it on first down. They only have the three opportunities. They end up getting stopped, getting stopped, throwing a pick. That's game. That's set. That's match. So this is raiders Bengals. Decided by some weird, funky things. Joe Burrow played nicely. Um, Derek Carr played nicely. Derek Carr is the one who will go home as a loser. And if you want to be that kind of person, you can take a game like this and you can say, this is why Derek Carr doesn't fulfill what I believe a winning quarterback should look like. And sometimes that might be fair. Derek Carr is not a perfect quarterback, but Derek Carr is a very reasonable quarterback. And I'm talking about this because it's important to remember. If you choose to go that route, if that is how you build narratives in your mind about individual players, this is what these games can come down to. Okay? So the other game, the game of the weekend, again, so far, this is before Rams and Cardinals gets played on Monday night, is the Niners and the Cowboys. Just a clinic in margins mattering. Niners end up winning by 6, 23-17. And it's important to note, before we even get into this game, remember how the San Francisco 49ers got here. They had to win some crazy games down the stretch. If you didn't listen to my podcast from last week about week 18 coming down to the margins, I have about a 15-minute section just on Rams-Niners. Game that the Rams go up 17-0, and it looks like they're going to go up by more with a minute to go in the first half. Stafford takes a sack on third and one. They punt. Niners end up getting a field goal to send it to the break at 17-3. The whole second half, it's just margin play after margin play after margin play. Looks like the Rams are going to win every turn. Incredible drive by Garoppolo and the Niners down the stretch to force overtime and just a crazy sequence of events in overtime to ensure that they end up winning. That's on the hills of an incredible margin game two weeks prior against the Bengals that they also win in overtime that also comes down to 15 different things going their way. And that's how the Niners are in the playoffs in the first place. Now they've won a game and they're advancing. They're going to play Green Bay. And I'm freaked out of my mind because they're just a scary team. They're doing a lot of things that translate well in the playoffs they're running the ball quite well they have multiple playmakers on offense that if you get the ball in their hands they're freaky as hell Debo Samuel Brandon Ayuk George Kittle Elijah Mitchell and their defense is getting an inordinate amount of pressure on the quarterback even after Nick Bosa goes out of the game with a concussion against the Cowboys so there's all sorts of things that are happening in this game Kyle Shanahan he's the winning coach he also got pretty conservative on some plays that maybe could have put him away early he's kicking field goals on fourth and one in the first half he has an opportunity in the second half fourth and one from about midfield to go for it rather than punting the ball back to the cowboys and giving them a chance to take the lead it's one of those go or don't go situations if you go and get it everybody praises you if you don't get it then everybody calls you brandon staley and freaks out and says you're a loser and an idiot and you should always punt And if you punt and they drive down the score a touchdown, then everybody gets mad because you were too conservative. This is how all this frenzy works. I'm really into the process of things, as I speak to on this show, and I'm usually a pretty big believer in 
if you have fourth and shorts, especially in situations in plus territory, you always should go. If you have a fourth and short around midfield up by six with five minutes to go in the fourth quarter, I'm in favor of a really good running team going for that. That's just kind of how I think. Now, Shanahan goes different, which sets up a bunch of other things in this game. You know, it allows the Cowboys a chance. Robbie Gould kicking field goals instead of the Niners punching in these fourth and ones and then getting touchdowns out of them. That leaves the door open. The Niners special teams in the second half leaves the door open. Again, special teams, they just, we don't ever want to talk about them because we don't care about them. Their punt return units and kick return units and the field goal kicker, they don't seem like they're connected to football as we know it. And in the playoffs, they matter immensely. One of the main reasons why I feel sick to my stomach thinking about Green Bay Packer football in the playoffs because their special teams has been the worst in the league this entire year. And in the second half of Niners-Cowboys, Niners are controlling the game. First drive of the second half, they get an easy stop. Cowboys are punting, and they try to block the punt, end up roughing the punter. Here's a free, what amounts to a turnover. Cowboys get the ball back. That's a huge deal. Ends up not hurting them, but that is a huge deal. That can bite you in the ass way quicker than you expect. Cowboys run a fake punt in the game on a play that the Niners are up by 16. It's in the fourth quarter. It's a fourth and five near midfield. Cowboys send out the punt team. So there's literally one duty if you are the Niners on special teams there. You're not setting up a return. You're not trying to block it. The only thing in your mind is we're up 16. There's a finite amount of time left. The only thing that could ever hurt us in this situation is a fake. If they go for it and get it, it's the only way. And somehow they are flummoxed by the Cowboys running a fake punt. They get it. It ends up leading to a field goal, cutting it from 16 to 13. They end up getting another touchdown to put it to that six-point margin. Now within that same sequence, the winning quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo, very divisive lightning rod topic. Some people give him a bunch of props because his metrics are good. A lot of people say, this guy is atrocious and you could never, ever win with him because he does way dumb stuff every game. <laughs> Truth about him is he's somewhere in the middle. He's just, you know, I would consider him to be an average quarterback. And an average quarterback in the right situation can win a Super Bowl. That's something I believe. Now, this game, Jimmy Garoppolo will have another playoff win. He was not particularly good. He did not do anything particularly well in the game. He hit a few slants in the first half, but the second half... He misses Brandon Ayuk wide open on a big third and 11 where Ayuk just roasts Trayvon Diggs. And I mean wide open down the left sideline. All he has to do is throw anywhere in its completion. And instead, he just airmails it. Punt. With the Niners up 23-10 after the fake punt results in a field goal, Jimmy Garoppolo throws an interception that is about as bad as you will ever see. Just rolling out to the right. He's got, I believe it was Ayuk. He's wide open. He's not far away. And he just lollipops it right over his head. Total airmail. Anthony Brown catches it. Sets up a touchdown that, again, brings it within six. Now your sphincter's tightening. You're going, oh, no, is this happening? These are the kind of margins that occur. Special teams. Coaching decisions. Refereeing, which played a huge role in this game. The Cowboys committed 14 penalties in the game. Every time they had a good play go their way, it seemed like it was getting called back for a hold or some stupid penalty. And, and this is a team that has that in their DNA. They were the second most penalized team in all of the NFL this year. That ties into their coach, who I will get to in a bit. So now the Niners are nursing a six-point lead. And we're going, it's really coming down to the margins here. And 
They throw a swing pass out to the left to George Kittle. You can't tell if he catches it or doesn't catch it. He's fighting for extra yards. Cowboys punch the ball out, recover it. Looks like they have the ball with ample time. Down six. Goes to replay. And Jimmy Garoppolo, <laughs> in a great ironic twist, him being not very good at throwing the football, works out in the Niners' favor because it's a wide open just crossing route at the line of scrimmage. And he throws it and it hits off the ground before it goes into George Kittle's hands. So now it's an incomplete pass instead of being the Cowboys' ball. Decided by inches, you know. On the second-to-last Cowboys possession, what we thought was going to be the game-deciding play, fourth and long, Niners bring an all-out blitz. It's cover zero, just man-to-man across the board. Dak actually makes a great play and throws the ball up and gives Cedric Wilson a chance to catch it. And he turns around, and it looks like it's going to be a big play, and he stumbles at the wrong moment in time, gets his hands on it, but can't corral it. Margins. Turf monster. Just stuff that, if for, for whatever reason, he keeps his feet and, and he catches the ball. I mean, we're celebrating that as an incredible all-time play for both parties. Now, we think the game's over at this point, and because it's the Cowboys and the Niners, it just can't go quietly into the night. So... It looks like the Niners are going to be able to run out the clock. On a third and 10, they run an end around to Debo, who looks like he gets the first down. It's game over. Goes to review. They say, nope, now he's down by, they originally ruled it a first down. Now he's down by a football. So refs, again, inserting themselves into the action. So now it's fourth and inches. Just sneak it, and the game's over. Shanahan and the Niners get a little cute. Trent Williams, they run him in motion from left tackle to right tackle. He doesn't get set as they run the quarterback sneak that's supposed to end the game. Garoppolo gets it. Five-yard penalty for illegal procedure. Back it up. Now you got a punt. And now the Niners are getting conservative. And they give up completion, completion, completion. Now the Cowboys are out to midfield. Now they're to the 41-yard line, and there's 13 seconds left in the game. And I'm going, you should probably take two shots at the end zone here. I don't really understand why you'd try and get it closer because they're just going to be packed into the end zone regardless. I would like to maximize the amount of times I could throw the ball into the end zone. Maybe get a pass interference, or best case scenario, complete some sort of Hail Mary. And instead... The combination of first Kellen Moore, who's the offensive coordinator, and then Mike McCarthy, who is a head coach who I've spoken about many, many, many times, who, not to toot my own horn, but I was the voice crying in the wilderness eight years ago when a lot of people thought Mike McCarthy was a good coach. He had a Super Bowl win under his belt. Green Bay was on their way to the NFC title game. Aaron Rodgers had won his second MVP, and a lot of people couldn't separate those things. Couldn't separate Mike McCarthy as a coach from just the success they'd had as a team and Rodgers' success as a quarterback. And I was watching every Packers game, and I was going, this guy is a bozo. He doesn't know how to challenge. He doesn't know when to challenge. He's challenging at times he can't, and Rodgers is literally stuffing the flag back into his pants. That's occurred. (laughs) That's actually happened before. Jordy Nelson has done the same thing. Like We're just talking about somebody who seems like he's in another zone. He's conservative at the worst times. He's aggressive at times that don't make any sense. He just never really seems like he's in tune with what is required of a person making the split-second play-by-play decisions that a head coach must make within a game. This is something that I always was driven insane by throughout his entire Packers tenure, especially the last five years of it. So the Cowboys hire him, and I go, you guys, be warned. Everybody be warned. I know a lot of people are excited because he won a Super Bowl and he's bringing this Super Bowl winning pedigree. He had Aaron Rodgers and he had a really good team and that's how that occurred. And I watched him coach for a decade and I can assure you he is not a very good football coach. And I can assure you 
in the pressure cooker of playoff games, this is the last person on planet Earth you want making decisions on the fly. So this final play is kind of a really good encapsulation of it. In a game that, again, the Cowboys committed 14 penalties, they just really didn't have that discipline that has got to come from the coaching staff down. They're doing bizarre stuff throughout, uh, including after their fake punt, they keep their punt unit on the field, and they're trying to get San Francisco to burn a timeout. San Francisco, who was up 16 points at this time with 12 minutes to go, who has all three timeouts, I don't really get the end game. And they're running back and forth, and they end up taking a delay of game. It's just all Mike McCarthy stuff. It's punting on fourth downs that you could go for in the second half when you're down by 16 and you kind of need to force the issue. A Mike McCarthy staple. And then on this play from the 41-yard line, 13 seconds to go. I was listening to a podcast earlier this morning and some former NFL people, and they're talking about how, you know, within NFL circles, if you don't have timeouts and you're trying to get a 15-yard gain and stay in bounds, the bare minimum that you could ever have is 14 seconds. That's kind of the generally accepted rule of thumb. Cowboys have 13 seconds on the clock. And instead of taking a shot to the end zone, Kellen Moore calls a quarterback draw. And Mike McCarthy, this is all according to them after the game, Mike McCarthy says, yeah, great, let's go for it. So Dak Prescott runs a draw. He's tackled in play about 15 yards, actually 17 yards further, down at the 24-yard line. And now they're trying to get lined up, and the ref needs to spot the ball, and the ref's running from behind the play. And the Cowboys are trying to snap it before the ref has set the ball, which you can't do. And now he's running into Dak, and it's just beavisry of the highest degree. And they spike the ball, and there's no time on the clock. And the game's over, and it cuts to Mike McCarthy with that 1,000-yard RB stare, which we know he's just pondering on the amount of beefy melts he can have after the game. And it hasn't fully dawned on him that it's over. And they're waiting for a review, and the refs just come on. They're like, no, the game's over. (laughs) I don't know what the hell was happening there on your play call sheet, but that's probably not what you should do. Anyway, this game is over. So the Niners moving on. They're playing the Packers. There's a million things that go into this game. And I kind of want to close this particular episode out. The discussion of the margins, a discussion of how narratives are derived from these individual moments and games by talking about Mike McCarthy, because that's the place that this podcast should end. And this will be one of those moments, hopefully, that I, that I think the general public is better able to identify what, again, I've been watching for a very long time with Mike McCarthy, which I've said on the show a trillion times, which I've said to people within my life eight years ago, over and over and over. Just, this is a millstone around your neck. You can win a Super Bowl with this guy as your coach. It happened in 2010 because they had the best quarterback in the league and a lot of talented players and they got the breaks that were necessary and that's how this all occurred. However, if you're trying to maximize your ability to win, if you're trying to take advantage of the margins and maybe eliminate some of them, this is not how you go about your business. You don't hire somebody because they won a Super Bowl in the past. You take a look at their pedigree over the course of time and say, this guy's probably not very good at coaching in general, especially within the bang-bang confines of a playoff game. And when you hire somebody like this, it doesn't maximize your edge on the margins. It just creates more of them. And so now you're saying, we can win a playoff game if this guy doesn't have Arby's beefy melts on the mind and starts doing weird stuff and starts okaying quarterback draws and sending out these strange punt team try to get a burn a timeout play for reasons unknown. This is what a lot of the stuff boils down to. And... 
We will make fun of Mike McCarthy moving forward, I assume. But this is also something that will reflect on Dak Prescott, because this is how narratives work with quarterbacks. And Dak, who has not won a Super Bowl in present day, who has not had a ton of playoff success in present day, this will be one of those things that people will point back to. Oh man, remember when they were three-point favorites at home against the Niners? and He didn't play particularly well. He threw a pick in the game, and he made some good throws, but their offense was just kind of bogged down. The Niners' defense was the story of the game, in my opinion, especially their pressure from the front four. This is kind of stuff that ties in. Um, there's a lot of things that go into a game. There's special teams. There's coaching decisions. There's refereeing. There's random chance. George Kittle, fumble, not fumble. There's bad plays. Jimmy Garoppolo throwing a pick. And depending on who's on your side, it can have an outsized effect on whether or not you win or you lose. Thank you for listening to The Chris Rawl Show. This podcast is produced by Weston Tanner. Go to chrisrawl.com and you can read anything that I have written. You can obviously listen to this show. Please remember to subscribe. Please remember to download. Please remember to rate and review with five stars on Apple iTunes. And please help spread the word. Thank you.